live from sunny Southern California. This is the Hollywood Billboard Report, voted best part of Oscar bait. I'm Mr. Mikey. It's been another crazy week in Hollyweird, and you know we have a ton of new billboards to talk about. On Fairfax and Santa Monica, we have a brand new billboard for the highly anticipated film Easter Sunday, starring Joe Coy. I just want to say, this billboard has incredible visibility from the street. Can't wait to see this one. On Melrose and La Brea, we got a new one hanging above the Chipotle. It's for Steve Carell's The Patient. Now this billboard is as powerful as it is fabulous. That's what she said. And finally, I would like to introduce a new segment on Hollywood Billboard Report called the Hollywood Billboard Bidet. This segment is strictly for the worst billboards in Hollywood. For the inaugural episode, we will focus on the monstrosity that hangs on Hillhurst. Yes, that's right, it's the billboard for the quote-unquote film, Alex's War. Not only does this movie look so shitty, but also terrible people made it who deserve to be locked up. It's also produced by my disgusting old boss. This man smelled like a pile of mildewed towels. Terrible movie for a terrible crew and a terrible billboard. May God have mercy on their souls. Well, that's all for me. This has been your Hollywood Billboard Report. I'm Mr. Mikey. A ciao! continuing our the, the thing that we we kind of sold our souls to the devil for yeah we tried to make it a joke we tried to just do one but we can't stay away we can't as fredo as fredo says after wishing that kiss lasted longer they pull me back in even though fredo doesn't say that <laughs> <laughs> It's good though for our for our purposes, Fredo, as Al Pacino says. Just when I thought I was out, tickled my butt. <laughs> so, what's the what's the topic of today? We are returning for all about Armand Part Deux. Yes, all about Armand Part Deux, which. So why don't you take us through some of his uh, more recent activities? Let's take a look. Let's see what... Well, Armand, as I heard in our last episode, 
Armand has, and if you didn't hear it, then you skipped an episode. You think that you're following along by listening <laughs> to the All About Armand, but <laughs> the, whatever the other one was called, you kind of all, all about DC with a pinch of Armand. Yes, yes, it's like these Marvel movies. You have to see every one of them, yes, or it isn't going to make no sense. Otherwise. Yeah. So I'm also still trying to find his uh, Black Dahlia. Maybe we'll just do a we'll do a De Palma episode. We always need an excuse. <laughs> yeah. So we're mostly gonna just before. So the idea now that we have now given you his his uh, what do you want to say his rap sheet? Sure. Oh, that this guy continues on. He is no longer at the New York Press. He is now at something called the National Review. And I'm sure just hearing that you've already turned this episode off. Sure. But instead, yeah. what you should think is you should, you should, your mind should, and your heart should be going to uh, a line definitely written for the first time and composed by the illustrious Beyonce when, when she utters the powerful phrase, I'm a survivor. I ain't gonna give up. That's what our mom's doing here. He's not spazzing on the dick. He. <laughs> He is doing anything but. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, we're, let's okay. So I am going on to www.twitter.com. Yeah, and that you need to find a piece of music here, because uh, this new segment is called "Spazzing on the Dick." <laughs> oh, there's so much I want to talk about, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. Okay. I guess you could find out what we're eventually going to talk about if you look at his Twitter account. But there's a lot that he's going on about with right now that I can't get into just yet. Yeah, we have to save but, it for part two. Uh, yeah, he's tw- okay. So if you scroll down those things, he's talking about something else. Now they're both kind of have to do with music, but as we alluded in all about Armand Part One, he is not happy with Lizzo or Beyonce. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like that they are shilling for the. I don't know the media and um, what does he say? You know, cultural appropriation basically is what he says. Yeah. Maybe Armin truly cares about this. Maybe he knows what his paper will pay him for. I don't know. It just doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There there are a lot of real things that could and need to be changed. And this is not one of them. That's how I feel. Sorry. I, I, I would agree. I think Armin needs to devote less time to worrying about this. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's a, it's a, it comes back around to a criticism on him because he's also on the flip side of it, but he's also getting off on performing yes. in the other direction about it because he's getting clicks and he's getting probably revenue or whatever. Oh, and you know he is. I mean, by like, be, by being so loud and proud against it, but at the end of the day, just fuck off. Listen, the guy, has basically turned into your film professor who you knew in college who discovered the internet and he's just on there way too much yeah like there's really nothing else there's no other way to put it oh big update i might have found i i think i might have found the uh black dahlia save save so anyway armon he spends a lot of time talking about that his, I like his quote on his uh, Twitter. I guess this is his Twitter. It seems to be. There's no check. 
So he uh, probably doesn't want to check though. He's probably pretending he's on some fucking Groucho Mark shit. Yeah. Or they didn't want to give him one. <laughs> <laughs> His quote is we have years of struggle ahead, mostly within ourselves. And that's a quote from Jean-Luc Godard from Made in USA. Damn. So that's interesting. So you can really kind of see what I'm talking about here with him being like your college film professor who you're like, I wonder how they're doing. You find their Facebook and it's like, whoa, you gotta, you gotta log off. Like you're, you're now tweeting about how good the show Pennyworth is. Yeah. And you know, you're, you've clearly broken through the other side. So let's find some notable ones here. They're mostly political. Let's see. He's got Sean Spicer's wife through a like up for, uh, can we hire 87,000 more school security guards instead of IRS agents? Yikes. One that you do see a lot from him. Christ. One you really, this is not going to get people on board, but you have to understand the dichotomy here. And this is hopefully a lesson in maturity for everyone yeah. out there. He, he really likes to uh, throw up likes for an account at Poppy Trumpo, Il, Don, Il Donaldo Trumpo. Mm. And it is the equivalent of your stoner nephew or cousin who is also online too much and likes to put like a, a mustache on Donald Trump and be like, I'm mucho different with glorioso mustachio. That's literally what it says. Me look like El Presidento, but ne- me know him. Oh. Listen, <laughs> you know we like to joke on here. <laughs> this is it couldn't be a lower hanging fruit. <laughs> the fruit was never hanging. I don't even think there's any fruit, man. It was this is the berries that you have fallen from that tree in your neighborhood. They're not the edible berries, but you see that some <laughs> hyper kid has smashed them all with his, you know, kids. So Oof. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. Listen, shocking. He liked a Donald Trump. Yeah. Like Ebert said, this is a guy who is problematic but there's some good ideas embedded in there whether you care or not that's up to you wouldn't if you want to wade if you don't want to wade through (laughs) bullshit to get to to get to glory and armand certainly understands that as someone who wants and don't worry folks i know that when you hear armand you think of one review and there's a famous review (laughs) he he reviewed the movie norbit and it (laughs) is All right, I don't want to spoil it. So his thesis on that is is pretty amazing. And as a Chinese-American man, I can't comment on that at all. So, nope. um, but yeah, all that said, let's move forward. Yes, uh, or backwards. At least not even open minds. Let's just move forward with, uh, you know, empty notebooks and just see what happens. Here, this is going to, we're going to do something that is going to really flip your wig here. Because um, as I am still doing, I am looking through Armin White's uh, 16, almost 17,000 likes that he's done. done. And yeah, he's on this all day, clearly. And yes, a lot of it has to do with the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Is he? Oh, is, Armin. Armin, is Armin. Yeah, he lo- yeah, I mean, he thinks it's like a, a political witch hunt. Um, it's a lot of stuff of... Uh, retweeting Donald Trump Jr. Wait, so he so he is against the raid. He's against the raid. He thinks it's like 
ridiculous, but it's like, Armin, you should be smart enough to know that this will come to nothing. Yeah, will- come on. see, that's what, yeah, that's where the question comes because this guy who's supposedly, not supposedly, who truly sees through all the bullshit very often when it comes to movies, how are you getting, uh, how are you getting induced over here? Seriously, he's got, a, he's having a lot of coffee these <laughs> days or something because within the span of seconds, he's liking some tweet by uh, someone named Bridget Gabriel who says that she is a survivor of terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) And then liking what? (laughs) So he does that, and then he likes something a second later of a photo of Gene Seberg in Breathless. Shows that shot of her going up the escalator. And then it goes from some guy named Nick Adams. Who's this guy? He's the best-selling author endorsed by President Trump, Australian by birth. <laughs> uh, he also says Letitia James is a thug. So it's a lot of <laughs> just that's all it says. So that's this is like an unreal rabbit hole. It is, and oh man, and just like oh wait, here's one where someone. This is how I know we can get him because all someone had to do was say, "Oh, and this is good news for us." Hashtag the second edition of Make Spielberg Great Again continues. Read the latest of Armand on Spielberg. So he, you know, he retweets that, and that's got like we'll see, uh, we'll see on the next episode. We'll, we're, he is coming on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has no choice. <laughs> well, he won't be able to resist because we're gonna. Yeah, we'll get it. <laughs> you know, and it's like Lauren Boebert, that fucking dumbass. Like it's just like. funny how fancy nancy can say no one is above the law when congress passes laws that place them above the law jesus christ yeah we fucking hate nancy pelosi too listen i you know i I recorded a thing saying i hope she chokes on a dove bar while she's trying to deep throat it do (laughs) i actually hope that i don't want her to die (laughs) but this is all it is like Tom, Tommy Loran, you know, that dumb bitch. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, just, I mean, no, it's well established that, that he just he's fucking off his shit. He doesn't know what he clearly doesn't know what he thinks. Dichotomy doesn't cover it because there's a lot more than a couple. <laughs> yeah, and whether there's any like legs to like, that, I, I guess a, 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 a quietotomy. He's got a beautiful mind, folks. Okay, uh, some would say on par with um, um, that movie. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Forgot the actor. <laughs> Russell Crowe. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some would say on par with the uh, movie. <laughs> so, are we time? Is it time to? Yeah. So for the remainder of this thing, we're not going to be. We're not going to do a deep dive into the Armand articles just yet. That's coming. This is sort of the setup. But Will is going to uh, read some excerpts from a certain article. And then I'm just going to take us on a quick walk through. And we're going to have, by the end of this, an extremely rounded idea, or at least something of an inkling of idea of who the great enigma Armand White really is. All right. If you've never just, you know, I guess a disclaimer as people do on podcasts, if you have not seen White Dog, there's not spoilers. We're just going to, 
Yep, here we go. All right. The closeout, as we mentioned in part one of Armand from his Criterion Collection endorsed essay about Samuel Fuller's The White Dog. <clears throat> the central metaphor of White Dog is unsettling because it posits that racism and its terrible psychological effects have not vanished from the American social and cultural experience and will not without a conscious effort. In this way, it is Fuller's most audacious film. Tragically, Fuller's stylized radicalism clashed with Paramount's timidity and the NAACP's bourgeois taste. Neither institution was able to accept Fuller's provocative proposition that racism is a matter of deliberate installation for people as much as for the titular white German shepherd and that it requires a cure. White Dog doesn't sentimentalize for Fuller's interest in social progress, but his longtime commitment to it is evident in the film's simple yet momentous storybook morality and in its casting. Like with Hari Rhodes' courageous portrayal of the neurotic civil rights student in Shot Corridor, Fuller uses these African-American actors to embody a human answer to a social dilemma. Such sensitivity enriches Fuller's bold, pulpy sociological confrontation in White Dog. Ironically, White Dog still seemed ahead of its time during its eventual 1990s release. It came after the fashionably multi-culty 80s when world music and hip hop altered the reception of racial content and popular entertainment and black stars like Eddie Murphy and Whoopi Goldberg successfully advanced upon the mainstream. This was also the period when the term white was first being interrogated by linguists, academics, and cultural critics for its subterranean connotations of power, correctness, and ideological consensus. Fuller, unsurprisingly, was ahead of all of that groupthink. In Shot Corridor's story of a wrong-headed crusading newspaper reporter, a character laments, too many intellectuals afraid to use the pistol of common sense. White Dog corrects that cowardice. It dares to advance the liberal Hollywood tradition, but in true Fuller style, it also bites the hand that takes it for granted. Christ. I mean, it's incredibly well said. And he he did a lot of Criterion uh, yeah. reviews. I think they cut him off after a while, but it was weirdly around the time he got kicked out of the New York film critics circle. It starts in 2001. He does the essay for The Hidden Fortress by Akira Kurosawa. And then after that, he does the Carl Theodore Dreyer box set. Oh, and that shit is so good. I know. That's one of his best, but we don't need to get into that right now. Then he does Trouble in Paradise, Ernst Lubitsch. Then he does Eric Romer's Love in the Afternoon and White Dog. Surprisingly, does Truffaut's The Last Metro. I would like to read that, actually. It's great. It's great. It was uh, one of the first moments, thanks to him, that my young, malleable mind, being of the age I was and of the generation that we both grew up in, he helped me realize how much of an idiot Tarantino was sometimes because he hates The Last Metro. Yeah, he, he really does not like Tarantino. We're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> I'm glad that up. So he does, he does Z, and then he does Revanche, Everlasting Moments, and then finishes with George Washington. And George Washington, weirdly enough, that was 2014 when that came out. And what happened to him in 2014? Is it really? Does it really line up? Holy shit. Damn, Janice, come the fuck at us. Wow. 40. Really? Yeah. I, I did not know that. That's fucking yeah. sick. All right. 
what Armin did with the Critics Film Circle, I mean, cannot be overstated. He, I mean, a lot of people actually came out to like really around that time, like really like go after him. So there was the, there was the EW article. Let's see, Variety published one. I mean, everyone talked about it. They they all kind of like have this like. There's some guy named fucking Josh Dickey. You, you know, you have to throw like Armin White tossed. You know, like the, it's it's just like I sound a little like Armin there, but it's just like <laughs> what I'm saying is there was a, and this plays into probably exactly what Armin would want his narrative to be. So I, let's just parse it out. We'll we'll be we'll be we'll keep our heads. People had issues with Armin before all this. Like I said, he did not agree with them. I mean, slice this any way you want, and Motown and Bible verses will drop out. But he's a black film critic, and a loud one. He's not Elvis Mitchell. He doesn't have like buddy relationship with Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're, you, he had a lot of opinions. And like, Bogdanovich, for that matter. He or exactly. Hollywood ties. I'm trying to think. There was an IndieWire one that really got after him. Uh, there's just a lot of critics that you all know. Every, everyone just really had to like put their uh, um, put their two cents in. And, you know, Ebert had already... Well, he put in three cents because that's a nuanced article what's even more shocking to show that like kind of like how they really were trying to um lambast this guy we just referenced the roger ebert in defense of armin wyatt from 2009 in 2014 some guy named walter biggins those fucking names <laughs> it, it, it's just another thing that like instead of like it being this like the thing that like roger ebert wrote it's very much like he, all he has to say is one paragraph. He's important and distinctive. Okay, I said it. Uh, see, I again, mean, it, sounds, it reeks of he's nuanced and he's hard to pin down. And that is difficult in the like burgeoning age of, you know, right and wrong, black and white. Well, that's not fair. That's always been the thing. But I guess the, the read, the, coming back around of right and wrong and black and white, you know, and right. it, uh, aggressive binaries. That's all he's saying. He's saying this makes me uncomfortable to have to have an opinion on, so let's fucking close it up. But That's he's a black weird. writer writing about this movie. Yeah, This yeah. is the time that people choose to be like, fuck his, <laughs> fuck yeah, his Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's not for not, as they say. It's not for fucking not that he was shut down then and people were elated to do it. Like yeah. fucking pumped to shut him down. Oh, and they are. Of like, why didn't they shut him down when he was praising Michael Bay doing Transformers movies? Well, that's the time we wouldn't be having this episode one or two if that's when he was shut down. Probably he would well, be a random mention. Well, but totally, but, but, it, but the reason that. it did this is because he publicly, but only in a private ceremony ousted and called fools his colleagues who are critics at their yeah, critic yeah. circle yeah and it was because of that that they decided this is a bridge too far Armin yeah. has to be like he's yeah. gotta he's gotta go and in fact this this redub of the in defense of armin white you know it has to you know they call him rude disrespectful um responds angrily to allegations that he denies about his about himself he's sensitive and yeah he i mean 
again again though this is all shit that someone he credited already and we talked about in the first one not i didn't know he called it out but those are the same that's the same shit thrown at paul and kale right but all these motherfuckers who are doing this to him in this moment would not dare because these days right and what i guess the past i don't know 15 years right if you say that if you say that pauline kale is shit <laughs> right you're not allowed right you're automatically you're out of there you're well, fucking- rem- remember when mank your favorite movie mank came out <sighs> I, I forget who did it first it might have been dave kerr or somebody but they started posting the infamous article yeah. that pauline kale wrote which is a really bad dissection of the history of the creation of citizen kane that's objectively true yeah. and i like pauline kale she came in hot yes she and like armin personal investment is part of the package with the criticism so yeah. but again that's not you know that that moment is not a is not a moment to throw away pauline kale that's which a moment to right. say, what led to this what's going on why is she running so hot about this, even though she knew? Because she did, because she knew film history, you know, arguably better than or at least as good as anyone else working regularly at that point. So she knew goddamn well that wasn't the truth, but she was running hot, just like Armand, who knows better than many of these moments. And his is a bit different because Pauline only fucked with movie related things. So right. it's a bit cleaner and it is easier because Armand dabbles. And I, I'm sure Pauline would have if she were alive in this time, because you yeah. can't not. But it's that same shit. It's the, it's these people with that that lust and that energy and that chaos that they can't necessarily control all the time. But it's the reason we're drawn to them. It's the reason Ebert wrote that amazing, confusing, yeah, article about it. Totally. Ebert I, Ebert loved hard lines, right? We've yeah. all, we've all read Last House on the Left. We've all read fucking Extra or Blue Velvet or whatever it is. Yeah, he hates those two. He did. He liked Last House on the Left. I thought though. No, no, no. Wait, am I remembering wrong? No, he he liked Last House on the Left. He hates Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but anyway, he he had no trouble issuing hard lines. Right. Because if he wanted to issue a hard line on Armand, he would not have thought about it twice he would have just done it and said fuck this dude go to hell district nine's awesome okay so armand doesn't like or he loves he loves terminator or transformers 2 okay i'm not a huge fan of the transformers franchise i know that um maybe he doesn't want to be associated with this so yeah just beat that okay but this guy is a well-respected person he loves the transformers movies i disagree with him sometimes but you know that's fine now, let's just say that we go back to the late 70s or early 80s. I forget which year this came out. But you have your Roger Ebert, a well-respected film critic. We're talking, I'm only pulling this out because we mentioned Last House on the Left. Ebert raves about Swamp Thing, also yeah. by Wes Craven. Now, I like, I love Swamp Thing. Oh, it's a great film. Um, but you cannot tell me that there isn't a hokiness to Swamp Thing that isn't also inherently the hokiness inside of Transformers. Now, stylistic or stylistically, they're very different. Mm, okay. They're very different. But it doesn't, okay. my point is, it's not so much like let's compare and contrast those. These are two made into television, cartoon, comic book things that all come out. And, but can you imagine like, someone like Roger Ebert, who's like praising all these like fantastic art house films, 
but he comes out and starts praising Swamp Thing, and it didn't seem to bother anyone there. I mean, also, I mean, he's not an incendiary film critic. Roger's not trying to press the hot button all the time, but film critics can have these ideas. Now, there's another film critic, and this is also a critic who two months before Armand's review had very harsh words about 12 Years a Slave, and it's Jonathan Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking shit on Jonathan Rosenbaum. I love the man. I've shared oh, yeah. a couple meals with the guy. He's a very fantastic guy. I let him hit my weed pen once. And I think it really clouded his perception of once upon a time in Hollywood. But <laughs> which he well, called the, the he most sticks to flower, man. He sticks to flower. <laughs> he should stick to the flower. I, I agree. My point is like you have and I think that's even referenced in Smarkles. It's like Rosenbaum says the same thing but does have the privilege of being white and does not get called out for wrecking the fucking tomato meter mm-hmm. agreed completely. So completely i hate i hate to throw to wave that flag but it's like it's not I, waving a fucking flag it's stating a fucking truth man Rosenbaum has yeah. been just as controversial has been just as loud has been just as aggro has been just of a sh- as much of a shit kicker throughout not as recently, has been consistently. And that's why, I mean, it's why both of us know who he is and why we continue to follow it, whether or not meeting him, right? Like it, that's the reason why, because we admire that and we're interested in that. But when it's him, at at worst, it's someone saying, yeah, sometimes at the end of the meal, he goes off. But with Armand at worst, and again, not agreeing with all the shit he likes on Twitter or all the shit he says or all that stuff, but it's a very, I'd say it's a fine line yeah. between what they're doing and being a loud black man gets you a lot more shit. That's just, that's just true in this situation. About and- a movie that has to do with black people in the history of black people. So sue the fucking guy for having a heated yeah. response to it being showered with accolades. Yes. yes. Now listen. Like I said, I love Jonathan. I love you, Mr. Rosenbaum. We've well, had- Rosenbaum is Rosenbaum. If I had to like brass tacks, like measure it objectively, who had the most influence on my life outside of outside of Pauline Kale. In the world of film criticism, he's definitely in the very top tier. Yeah, he thought that um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a fa- like a, a fascistic piece of filmmaking, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an awesome take. I might have let him hit the weed pen a little too long. But nevertheless, I, I don't have Armand's... I haven't read it yet. He has a review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He doesn't like it. But I do know what he said about *Inglorious Bastards*, and he says that's Tarantino's answers to Abu Ghraib, a cruel, jokey, a historical revision of World War II. Well, Which is not wrong. You're not wrong. I think you're you're missing the mark a little bit, but you're not wrong. He's not wrong, but it's again that shit, right? Because why it it just highlights the truth of, and we're not wrong either, but the yeah. truth of why we all got off on it so hard. God damn, does that movie feel good. Oh, it feels so good for people of every persuasion, whether people who truly are just like, yeah, I definitely heard about Nazis and they suck, or people who have family who died or who are still alive but barely, or what? literally all of it. 
there's so many people who are like, man, that shit felt good, but why did it feel good? And I don't think he's wrong. This is, this is unfortunately what you have to deal with when you're dealing with a black gay man who supports the NRA. He yeah, is a it's mess. It's fucking messy. It's yeah. fucking messy. Good. And it's, a, it's again, though, the part, and I, obviously we don't know him. I think we might in Not the yet. future. Yeah. We might. We might. And I think this will be supported. But what I suspect here is, and what I get from reading his reviews, is that when Armand really goes hard in hatred against something, to me, it never once comes off, even though, yes, it's mean, and yes, it can be spiteful, can be passive aggressive when he's not on his game. Yeah. But to me, his reviews never read as saying, if you do like this, you're a fucking idiot piece of shit. That's never what comes across to me. And that's what's crucial here, too. Well, that's what people think, think about, they like, get. Well, but they're just, that's because they're triggered. And I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry to put that on them, but I think it is. And it's that shit. And that's the end of the day for me, is people losing sight of being able to be strong, opinioned, and fucking loud. And so, sorry, I'm trying to do this while peeing. Um, good. Good. It's this. It's the start and the finish. We're gonna finish while you pee. I'm gonna get gushy for a moment. You keep this in if you want. You don't have to. Part of the reason me and you talked for so long the first day that we met is I don't know if you remember, but we fought. We fought at the gate. Yeah, we did. We talking about all sorts of shit, and we disagreed so hard. We and fight every day. Yeah, and I can't speak for you, but that first day. I was lit the fuck up because I was so excited that the vibes never changed, right? We had good vibes only, but we were fucking fighting and loud and mean. And we were both cutting. We were both cutting and like trying to undercut each other. (laughs) Yes, we were learning about each other rapidly and we were weaponizing it immediately. And it was fun though, because we both clearly were like, no, we come to art for the same reason because we love to be challenged and we love to grow from it. And this is, you know, and that's what we did. And that's the, that's the plea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not saying that's Herman's intention because I have no idea. And again, when we meet him, we're going to find out for fucking sure when he comes on here. We we are. My suspicion is that Armand feels that same way is that at the end of the day, all he wants is people just to fucking give a shit and fucking bring their hearts and their fire and their passion to it. I will say that that is the ultimate draw to honor and if you had to boil it down it's that he instigates a discussion and this is what i was saying it's like you either need to be strong in your conviction that you're an intelligent person that can think critically or you're a you're a your head's an empty cavity that has to be filled with things all the time and i'm not even making fun of those people it's just like oh, I'm both. Just people I'm that you know i get it like i i do that sometimes and then i have to snap myself out of that but it's like it's it's totally understandable but like i do think at the end of this it's a fear of reading armon that maybe they might read something that they could agree with or maybe they they just think they're going to read something that's going to like you know send them on to twitter to you know to complain about it much like armon does so we're just you have to reckon with with complicated feelings you need to have backbone you need to have heart too and you can see yourself through these things because would the guy, would a guy who has no backbone say this sentence about Spielberg's Lincoln? Or wait, hold on, no, we're gonna say that. Would a guy with no <laughs> backbone say this about 2009's Precious? 
Precious coincided with Obama's first year in office to revive racial condescension with the audacity of nope. Goddamn. Here's what a line he said about Spielberg's Lincoln from 2012. God damn it. I'm going to get mad. <laughs> Spielberg succumbs to Tony Kushner's limousine liberal cynicism to valorize Obama-era political chicanery. Here's a fun oh, game. I agree. Thank God he fucking hates fucking Lincoln. God. I like I like Lincoln. Yeah, because like, you hate black people. Yeah, but that's like, <laughs> that's that's just who I am. <laughs> please subscribe to our patreon when we start yeah john watched another theater and thought you know what i hate more than anything frederick Douglass. i really hope he's not in this movie yeah but i get all my news from trump's twitter account so i thought he was still alive <laughs> <laughs> so anyway obviously you see that um probably this next episode is going to be a two or three parter in an already multi-part series but we have landed on a real uh, landmine here, and that is the director Steven Spielberg and our man Arnold. And uh, please don't do research into this. Let listen. I've been putting some effort into creating a little timeline here. Yeah. We are going to dig into his entire feelings of Spielberg. Yeah, and um, I have some. I have some uh, surprises for John that he's not going to see coming. But anyway, so let that tantalize you because there is no bigger a peek into the mind of Armand than cracking his love hate of Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who wrote, too, and it's rare and it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it, rare that he's not sure. Well, and you'll see that you know, I, I mean, if you're a listener of the show. I and Will sometimes is a big fan of late Spielberg. Save for the post, I could, I don't care about the post. But, and even, I mean, Lincoln, I could take or leave it. I, I defend uh-huh. it just to piss you off, but I, I, I don't care. I mean, Bridge of Spies rocks. Um, no, it's weird. It's weird to, to cut the, to, no, not cut, to excise. Two black people who were in that courtroom, not just in the story, who were in that courtroom in favor of a joke about Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, my God, he's with a black woman. That is crazy. <laughs> Truly. you can't Even you can't. I know, I can't deny. It is audacity like on such a level that I don't even know what to do with. I don't even know what to do. Well, it's funny. Here's a preview. Armin likes Amistad more than Lincoln. I agree. Same. Really? Oh, listen. I just think Lincoln is cool because it like it examines the idea and the history of um, uh, political lobbies in this country. Which does it? No, it's about crossfades to flickering candles. And that. And that. Listen, Spielberg has this new. He's got this new look. He likes. He likes the light porn in the windows. No, it's about. It's about lazy, boring techniques. And about ridiculous whitewashing. So, what was all those the talks about the the going into the mechanics of how lobbying works in a setup? Falling on deaf ears is what that was. Yeah, because people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but you you even couldn't you couldn't even deny it's crazy. The I mean, to be made to cut out the black people for a joke about a white person dating a black person. That's crazy. There's an economy of time when you're making a movie and writing a screenplay. Oh, so you're in favor. Maybe, maybe, 
maybe Steven felt that oh. I have tried my best to talk about black people and the color purple and Amistad was his best and color purple was his best dear god i'm gonna have to abandon all the positivity i've come to feel because of you and pinkerton well i just think that maybe he's thinking this is something i shouldn't attack anymore because i've been completely lambasted for doing it but he's a great filmmaker i just think that like he's not perfect like some people because also that's the best drama of the whole thing. He threw away the guaranteed best way to make that like a, a tight, incredible Hollywood movie. Are you trying to tell me the central con- problem of that movie was if slavery should be legal? Jesus Christ. I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. And I don't ever do that because you don't. Yeah, you don't. It, but you don't. No, I do here because it's unreal. You do. I'm saying it's right unreal. here. You're fine. I It's okay. <laughs> I'm with you on this one. But it is also about this other thing. And you can at least acknowledge that it does try. It attempts to do some sort of slip in the fucking idea with this Oscar Beatty sort of movie. Right? I mean, I guess. Okay, that's all I wanted to hear. And for this edition of Oscar Bait, Will's agreed with me at the very end of the episode. So... Yep, we've established that John... Oh, you cut out there. Your your mic cut out. Well, uh, see you next time, folks.